And Father, we, we thank you for your promises of your word. And Lord, we just, we say we love you. We love you for all you've done in our lives. And also, Lord, what you're going to do. Lord, we acknowledge that we are a work in progress. And as we come to your word, as, as we, we receive some of the challenge of that, Father, we want to just submit ourselves to you again. We want to pray, Lord, that you would draw close to us as we would draw close to you. But also, we, we humble ourselves before you. And we humble ourselves, Lord, in order to receive from you. And Father, we do believe, Lord, that as you speak to us, Lord, you're going to change us. You're going to make us more like, like Christ. And Lord, that's my prayer for my life. It's my prayer for, for Freedom Church. Lord, as you're working among us, Lord, you're shaping us, you're changing us. And you're drawing us closer to you, to be more like you. So, Lord, may that happen, Lord, even today, Lord, as we, as we worship, as we just listen to your word read in Jesus' name. Amen. To so say we are in James chapter 4. And it says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. So you kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You're quarrel, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us Envies intensely, but he give us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and to destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbour? 
And James is writing here to a real church, just like ours, and this real church, just like any church, knows that it's fair share of squabbles and fights and disagreements. And so James begins chapter 4 with a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He then goes on and he says, don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? Now this question, of course, is rhetorical. It's not to be answered. Yet sometimes we would like to answer it. And what we normally would say, it's not me. It's him, it's her, it's, it's the way in which they spoke to me, it's, it's, it's their fault, it's nothing to do with me. So when disagreements come, our natural instinct is to stand our ground, to begin to dig our trenches, to get ready for war, because I'm not to blame. But it's worth noting that the initial cause of human conflict doesn't come from the outside or from other people, it comes from the desires that are battling within you. And these desires lead to fighting, lead to quarrels, they even lead to death. And James says, so when we don't get what we want, our desires control us, and we go about asking the wrong people for the wrong things, in the wrong ways, for things that only God can give. But we never think of asking God. This, of course, is not a new problem. In fact, the early church had their fair share of disagreements, so the members of the church in Corinth were competing with each other in public meetings. In fact, they were even, even suing each other in court. The Galatian believers were fighting and devouring one another. Paul writes to the Ephesians to encourage them to cultivate an attitude of unity, a spirit of unity. And even his beloved church in Philippi had its problems Two women simply could not get on with one another. And, and James, throughout this book, mentions several different types of disagreements. Everything from class to employment wars to church fighting as well as personal battles. And this causes an atmosphere of rivalry, of arguments, of judgment. Now, James is not saying that we should never evaluate people or use spiritual discernment into situations in fact, all the parts of the Bible tell us that we should be doing that, but that we must not act like God in passing judgment. Instead, we start with ourselves. We look into our own lives and we try to start there before we even think of trying to help somebody else. The truth is you can never know the full facts in any particular case and we certainly cannot know the true motive that lies in somebody else's heart. In fact, it's somewhat presumptuous for us to think that we can. So when we speak evil of a brother or sister, we judge them on the basis of partial evidence. We're not called to be judges. Verse 11 and 12, we're not called to be judges. Instead, God is the only judge and he is patient and understanding. And his judgments are just and they are holy. And we need, in fact, we can leave the matters in his hands. There's nothing more ugly, there's nothing more contradictory than Christians fighting among themselves. In fact, it goes against the very nature of what it means to be a Christian. And it's so sad when we see Christians at war, leaders against leaders, even churches against churches. And people outside the church, they look in and they watch and they say, look how they hate one another. 
And Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see the contradiction of this? And there's no logical reason why we should be at war against one another. After all, we're part of the same family. We trust in the same Saviour. We're filled with the same Spirit. And yet we fight against one another. And James poses the question, why? And the answer, it lies in the other battles that are going on. Because there's a battle going on within And then there's our battle with God. And unless these two battles are dealt with, with, there's always going to be struggles and fights. And there's going to be no peace with one another. And these battles are very real. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, which again we often struggle to do, but if we're actually honest with ourselves, there are are always times within our lives when our desires have led to quarrels and they've led to envy and to manipulation and even out and out conflict. Now we may not murder to get our own way, but sometimes we come much closer than we'd ever like to fully admit. I know there's times in my life when in order to achieve what I want, I've tried to maybe manipulate situations or even people. So the end begins to justify the means. And I do wrong things, telling myself, it's going to be okay because I'm doing it for the right reasons. So we spend our time trying to work out how we can get what we want by ourselves. How's it working out for you? It doesn't work, does it? I think we've probably all tried it. It simply doesn't work. Instead, you need to go to God. James simply says, first, ask Him, ask God. So when we pray, when we talk to Him, something changes. The question is, what changes? And James connects these quarrels and these fightings that are going on within the church, he connects it to lack of prayer. And Jesus told us in verse 2 already, he says, we, we, we don't have because we simply do not ask. You haven't asked. And real things happen in answer to prayer that would never happen if you did not pray. Do you believe that? Do we really believe it? The sovereign God of all creation responds to my prayer. Amazing, isn't it? As we pray, as we pray into situations, into circumstances, we pray about people, that God, we move the hand. I don't know the theology behind it, but something happens and we move the hand of God in answer to prayer. Because you prayed, things happen that would never have happened if you hadn't prayed. James says, you don't have because you haven't asked. But what happens when we do ask and we don't get? Well, James goes on in verse 3. When you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is the double-mindedness that we talked about. Remember back in chapter 1 we mentioned it? That when we, what we say reveals the true nature of our hearts and in fact so do our actions. So our heart is divided. And 
And James talks about two competing friends and two rival masters in verse 4. So what he's challenging his readers is about where do your loyalties really lie? Of course, it's not wrong to ask for things. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. So it's certainly not wrong to ask God to give us these things. But once you're down on your knees, once you're speaking to your Father, the Father of all of creation, the Lord of eternity, we need to begin to ask ourselves, why? Why am I praying this way? So why, why, when I'm asking for, why am I asking for a bigger car? Why am I asking for a, a brand new kitchen? What are my motives? Is that bigger car in order to bring perhaps some elderly people towards to, to church? Maybe they can't drive for themselves. Can I just honor Sue for a moment? Sue faithfully, faithfully serves in this way for Glynis and for Doris. And I just want to honour you publicly, because God is pleased with what you do. God is so pleased with what you do. And you are a blessing to us. I know you're a blessing to Glynis and to Doris. So I just want to publicly honour you and just encourage you to keep on doing your... Such a great example. Such a great example to us. What are our motives for... Listen, that's a great motive to pray for a new car, I think. I'm not saying you have to, but, you know, it's a great motive to pray for a new car. What about that bigger kitchen? It's a bigger kitchen in order to... Is it, is it in order maybe to, to teach our children how to cook? Perhaps is it for hospitality purposes? Great motives. But is it because our neighbours have just got a brand new car or because we just would like a nicer kitchen? Prayer is simply a child of God asking their father for a gift so that they can enjoy living with and for their Father. And what is just amazing, let's not forget the obvious before we go into the motives, what is just amazing is that we simply have to ask. Sometimes we don't even get there, do we? We don't even bother asking. Then when we ask, what is our motive in asking? Is it because we want to find pleasure elsewhere? in the gift, not in the giver, well then, James says, you will not receive. So we come before God and do we come seeking manifestation? Do we come seeking his signs or his wonders from God? No, we come and we seek God. There's no need that will ever surpass your need for God himself. Listen, you need to encounter God because the thing that is going to change your life is not a dream, it's not a vision, it's not an experience, it's not some sort of physical manifestation, it's an encounter with the living God. And your focus and your prayer needs to be on God, the giver, not on the gift. Only an encounter with Jesus Christ will truly transform your life. He is the only sure foundation you can ever build your life upon. And you chase after anything else, even the most impressive of gifts, and it's not, a, it's not a solid foundation that you can build your life on. So why do you pray what you pray? What is your motive? See, when we pray, our Father in heaven, please give me a bigger house. 
or please let me love my co-workers better, or use me to bring my friends to church, or, or heal me, or, or give me that promotion, or make me a great preacher, or fill me with your spirit. The challenge that James is giving to us is this. These are all great prayers. But what is the true motive of your heart? Do we, have, do we ever even stop to think? See, there's a war going on within every single one of you. And it doesn't just affect your prayers. Often our prayers are a good measure of this. But it doesn't just affect our prayers. This battle in our hearts is helping to cause the wars within the church. But ultimately, the root cause of these wars either internally or externally, is rebellion against God. At the beginning of this world, God created this world perfectly, without fault, without sin, without conflict. But when sin entered into this world, it brought in lawlessness, and lawlessness is rebellion against God. And you declare war on God, James says, by being friends with God's enemies. And James mentions three enemies here that we need to resist. The first is the world, the second is our sinful desires. And the third, Satan. And friendship with this world will lead to loving. And loving leads to conforming to this world. It may not happen immediately, but listen, it will happen. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Listen, who you are friends with matters. You may think that it might not affect you, but if you spend all your time in situations that pull you away from God, it shouldn't surprise you when it, that happens. You need to choose your friends well. In the practical sense, but also in the spiritual sense as well. If our attitude to this world is friendship, it will destroy our friendship with God and it will cause battles within. You cannot be friends with this world and be friends with God. And the truth is, we always have a choice to make. Just like the same sort of choice that Elijah led before Israelites at Mount Carmel, if you know the story, and top of that mountain as things were unfolding, this man of God, Elijah, standing there, pretty much by himself, but he's standing with the one true God. And on the other side, we have the prophets of Baal, and they're in a frenzy, and they're excited, and they're cutting themselves, and they're crying out to an idle God, and of course nothing happens. And then Elijah stands up and he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And that choice, it may come in many different forms, but it comes to each of our lives. It may come in the form of the seductions of this world in verse 4, which tries to take and win our friendship. It may come as the devil of verse 7 that we need to resist. But both of these things fuel and they feed the passion and the pleasures which are, with, which are at war within yourself. And no matter what form these come in, these battles are the same and also the choice is the same. The choice for or against God. You cannot serve two masters. 
And sometimes it feels as if we can. It feels as if we almost have to sometimes. After all, we still need a house to live in. We still need to have money to be able to, to, to earn a, a living. And all these things are good as long as we get them in the rightful place. But actually, any of these things can become idols, can take God's place in our lives. In the end, you need to ask yourself the question whether the choices that you are making are simply a vehicle for your own desires, for acceptance, for status, for power, for comfort, or whether you are going to choose to serve God. You cannot do both. It is impossible to do both. You need to stop having a foot in both camps. You can't stand in the world and still stand with God. They come in conflict with each other. It just will tear you apart. And God says, I must have first place in your life. I must have first place. The second enemy of God is our selfish desires. Living for your sinful desires offends the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit within jealously guards your relationship with God. In fact, his jealousy is well-founded. Jesus came to buy back his bride, the church, at the cost of his life. Listen, his blood was shed for you. He gave everything for you. And then he gives us his Spirit to live within us. And then he sees us fooling around with the world that he has saved us from. None of us would tolerate such stuff in our marriages, in our relationships, would we? Why would we think that God should? And for this reason, there are battles going on within. It says in in Galatians 5, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so they are not to... So you are not to do whatever you want. And the essence of sin is selfishness. Adam and Eve disobeyed God because they wanted to eat from the tree, because they wanted to be like God. Abraham lied about his wife because, well, he selfishly wanted to protect himself. And very often, just like so many before us, we veil our selfish pride under the guise of spirituality. Remember James and John, the disciples of Jesus, they came to Jesus and said, we want special seats in the throne room of heaven, one on the right and one on the left. In fact, all the time, they wanted recognition now. And the result of pride and selfish desires is division and fighting among God's people. And this is the work of the enemy. It is such a dangerous thing. Listen, pride will always lead to wrong actions, but it also it goes full circle because our selfish desires will lead to wrong praying. And when we are praying wrong, the whole, our whole Christian life is going to be wrong. And the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. On. You like that one? On. The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. And selfish living and selfish praying leads to war. And if there's war on the inside, there's going to be war on the outside. The third enemy is Satan. Listen, Satan hates, and I mean hates and opposes Jesus. And pride is his greatest weapon and his greatest sin. 
He enjoys inflating our ego, making us and encouraging us to do things in our own way. But listen, you have got nothing to be proud about. Not running us down, it's just truth. We, the only thing that you can boast about is Christ. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which this world has been crucified in me and I to this world. And so often, instead of seeking God's will, we tell God what he is supposed to do, and then we get angry with him when he doesn't obey us. That's not the way it works. And then this anger with God will eventually spill over in anger towards other people. And and Satan is just laughing at us. He's clapping his hands, he's cheering and celebrating when we fight, when we argue, when we, when, we, we, when we believe his lies, when we make excuses. In fact, probably one of the biggest excuses that Christians make is, I prayed about it. But prayer is not an excuse for us to hide behind. And many church problems could be solved if only people would look into their own hearts and see and then deal with the battle that is raging within. Listen, God has made us to live in unity together, but if our minds, if our emotions, if our wills are not working together, it should be no surprise that there is disunity all around us. And this is not easy, because these battles are very, very real. And if you're looking for some sort of magic cure that's going to change a situation or circumstance, well, unfortunately, there are no silver bullets and we don't believe in magic. Because the problem all along is in our own hearts. James says in chapter 3, verse 16, where you have envy and selfish ambition there you will find this order and every evil practice. You need to look into your own heart. And it's painful. But you need to start here. Now at this point, we might expect God to remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross and then shame us into pulling up our socks and trying a little bit harder to improve our attitudes. Instead, Verse 6 says, but he give us more grace. You get that? He give us more grace. It's both amazing and such an encouragement. And God gives this to the humble and our response to such grace should be gratitude, repentance and a desire to draw near to God. You see, grace changes the way in which we live as Christians. Becoming more Christ-like is all about and a result of God's grace. It's nothing to do with your own merits. And our good deeds, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. In fact, they're so disgusting we don't really want to talk about them, but grace says that all of your good deeds, all that you do, all your Christian disciplines, all your do's and don'ts, they don't make one pick of difference. God's grace is not dependent on anything that you do. In fact, such is the grace of God that if we fully understand it, there is the possibility that we may even misunderstand and ask the question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, does that mean I can just carry on sinning so that grace may increase? And if that thought has never entered your head as you've worked 
through grace, you've never fully understood it. Because grace removes legalism from your lives. It frees you from your do's and don'ts. It is all of God. And if you fully grasp that this is all of God and nothing to do with me, in fact, it never becomes an excuse to carry on sinning. Because once you've truly experienced such grace and such love, instead it leads us to say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I don't deserve what you've done for me, but I want to obey you, not because I have to, but because I want to. And your service for God becomes an act of thanksgiving. Your, 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 your prayer life increases. The love for God's word grows. There's a new freedom in the Holy Spirit. It just moves us to experience joy unspeakable. This is the only way to know a more intimate relationship with the Father to know his blessings in our lives, to enjoy all his good gifts. Listen, we may not have this world, but we have Jesus. And there is nothing, nothing better. And God is calling us to a serious, grace-reliant humility today. But how do we live that out? But how do we live out tomorrow when we go into work or into school or into university, when we, we're facing the challenges and all the difficulties and the temptations that, that come against us? How do we resist the enemy of the world, of self, of Satan? Because you know as well as I know that although Christ has delivered us from them and the victory is ours because he has won them at the cross, we are still in a battle. We still live under attack. And God, so how can... I overcome them. Well, James gives us three instructions to follow. The first is this, verse 7. Submit to God. If there's an area in your life that has not been given completely over to God, there is going to be a battle. And if you're uncommitted to God, you will not be at peace with yourself or with God unless you surrender your life completely over to him. And you must make sure that you, you don't give Satan even a foothold within your life. Listen, if you give him any opportunity at all, he is going to fight against God. So don't even give him a foothold. You guard our hearts, guard our minds. You resist Satan, you submit to God. As we resist Satan, he will flee from us but perhaps the biggest opening to Satan in our lives is hidden sin. When King, when King David committed adultery and then he killed the husband of the woman that he slept with, he kept his sin hidden for one year. And there was war between him and God. And when he finally submitted to God, when he repented of his sin, eventually David received the joy and the peace. Listen, so can you. But submission is an act of the will. But it comes through the work of the Spirit. It is saying to God, your will be done, not mine. And he has promised grace to those who submit to him. The second thing is this, draw near to God. 
A.W. Tozer wrote an essay called Nearness is Likeness. And he says that the more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. And God greatly draws near to you when you deal with the sin within your life. Now, I'm speaking to Christians here. Listen, if you don't know Jesus yet, you need to come to know him. You need to invite him into your life to, to turn from your sin. The Bible calls it repentance as we, we say sorry for our sins and invite Christ into our life. Listen, he will change you. You will have peace with God. But Christians, listen. God will not share you with anyone or with anything else. And the double-minded Christian can never be close to God. God must have complete control. And yet he promises you great hope and great power and more grace beyond measure. But you have a responsibility to come near to God by confessing and repenting of your sins and asking for his forgiveness and his cleansing. Confession must be followed by humble pursuit of God's sustaining grace. Listen, this includes resisting the devil, and yet even this comes through the power of the Spirit. And as you come close to God, as you submit your life before God, sins that you have never even noticed will be exposed. It can be a difficult process. It can be a painful process. But also, God's grace will seem all the sweeter and it just grows sweeter and sweeter as you draw nearer and nearer to your Saviour. The third thing is this, humble yourself before God. You know, it's possible to submit yourself, but never humble yourself. And God hates the sin of pride. In fact, pride is stubborn enemy of God, and you must take sin seriously. Listen, this is no laughing matter. The sin of pride is one that can derail us for such a long time. Psalm 51, verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. But praying, Lord, humble me, is a dangerous prayer to pray. How much better if we would humble, if you would humble yourself before God. If you would confess your sins, if you'd weep over them, if you'd turn from them. It's a vulnerable place. But in our weakness, God is strong. And when God is strong, we worship. And when we worship, the world takes notice. And if you get these three, these three things in place within your life, submission to God, drawing near to God, humbling yourself before God, you will not be at war with God, and then you will not be at war with yourself. And that will mean you will not be at war with others. You will live in peace. The fruits of that righteousness will be peace, Isaiah says. Its effects will be quietness and confidence forever. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Quietness and confidence forever. And as you mature in Christ, this is the hope that we have. The mature and the growing Christian is someone who is saved by the grace of God and is satisfied in no one but God. And they daily fight the worldly influences 
in their life by submitting to God, by resisting the devil, by drawing near to God in humble repentance, and therefore they rebel against this world, but not against God. Listen, if you want to pick a fight with someone, pick a fight with the sin in your life. Pick a fight with Satan. Don't pick a fight with God. Submit to him. Humble yourself before him. Draw close to him. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we stand in your presence. And Father, we acknowledge our need of you. But also, Lord, we acknowledge your grace is enough. So, Lord, we, we come to you, Lord, and we pray, Father, by your Spirit, even now that you would just show those areas in our life that we need to deal with, or those conflicts, those battles. And, Father, we pray, Lord, as you expose them, Lord, we will repent, that we will confess them to you. And, Father, we will make war against sin against selfish desires, against pride, against Satan. But Lord, we will be friends with you. And Lord, we want to live in your promise. We want to live in, in peace, in a quiet confidence, Lord, that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ, comes through filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, I want to pray that over my life. I want to pray it over the lives of my friends here this morning. Yes. Holy Spirit, just come. Just in the quietness. Just do a gentle work of grace in each of our lives. Lord, where cleansing is necessary, Lord, your blood that you shed for us brings forgiveness and healing. And Lord, as you cleanse us, Lord, then just fill us with your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.